You know what running's biggest bang for your buck is? It's right here in front of me. The Runner Box. It's also the perfect holiday gift. For as little as 29 bucks, they send you a box filled with running goodies, handpicked by their team of runners and nutritionists. I mean, this stuff is amazing. Each box is worth over 50 bucks. You can pay as little as $29. Hey, inflation and stuff. This is a great, great value. Best of both worlds. Great product, great value. What do I got in here? Yes Bar Salted Maple Pecan. Energy Chews. Pain Relieving Pouch. Recovery Drink. Little Ultimo Electrolyte Mix. Pain-Free Chocolate. Ooh, wow. Little Spiced Heat Skin Care. You never know what you're gonna get in the runner's box. Great stuff for runners. Surprise yourself. Wait, how did I not see these? Mint Chocolate Brownie Bites. Check it out today. Save special 10 bucks off any new subscription with code Let's Run 22. There's a link in the show notes. Use the special link or use code Let's Run 22 to save an extra 10 bucks off new subscriptions. You got to check it out now. Big pod this week, out on Wednesday. Don't worry, we'll be back to our Tuesday regular schedule next week. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Let's Run.com Track Talk podcast. What a great weekend of racing we have to discuss on this week's show. In Valencia, we saw Kelvin Kiptum win in his debut marathon in 201.53, just the third member of the Sub 202 Club. On the women's side, Amane Bariso pulls the stunner by running 214.58 to win the women's race over Latessa Mekide, who still set the debut record with her 216.49. Out in Portland at NXN, the Saratoga Springs girls and Newbury Park boys took the team titles as expected. Irene Riggs of West Virginia dominated the women's individual race, and a guy who hadn't won a cross-country race since middle school, Aaron Salman, upsets the Young Brothers to win the individual title. In Boston, the Sub-15 quest came up short as Annie Rodenfels took down Caitlin Tui while Kai Robinson wins the men's race. And then we've got a lot of other things to discuss that didn't happen over the weekend. No races, but huge storylines. Elliot Kipchoge is running the Boston Marathon next year. Max Siegel has defended his $3.8 million salary, but Michael Johnson has clapped back. And Hassan Mead explains why he tested positive. Tons to discuss today. This is Jonathan Galt. Fresh back from Valencia, Spain, I am joined by my bosses, the co-hosts of this podcast, Robin and Weldon Johnson. Gentlemen, good morning. Good afternoon, actually, as we're recording this. This should be a great episode. I'm so excited to talk to you guys. John, so pumped to be here. It's going to be an amazing show. So much to talk about. I hope you enjoyed your trip to Valencia. Have a new Spanish girlfriend. Stuff like that. But I, there was one negative, I guess. Did you adopt the Spanish national team as your second favorite World Cup team? Because I'm kind of upset about that. We had to delay the podcast for you and Weldon, the two soccer fans, to watch this abomination of a football game. Like, it's the year 2022. I've been ranting about this 
for 20 years. There's a thing called modern technology. Why in the hell are we ending the most important sporting matches on the world with the equivalent of a free throw shooting contest? In case you missed it, Spain just lost to Morocco in penalty kicks. Like, all you have to do is play overtime until they score a goal. Just expand the goal like three feet every 10 minutes. It wouldn't take very long. People would stop playing so defensive if they knew a damn goal would come. Rant over. I mean, I think expanding the goal by three minutes is bastardizing soccer, but if you just say, we'll keep going until someone scores in the knockout stages of the World Cup, I wouldn't have a problem with that. I don't like the way penalties decide the outcome. Maybe I'm a little biased because England always seem to lose on the penalties. And I don't have a second team, Robert. My team is already in the World Cup. We're still in the World Cup. There's no point in having a second team. You got one team. It's England. Bring on France, baby. All right. I did enjoy Valencia, though. Really nice city. Uh, very welcoming people. Great place to have a marathon. Super fast fields and super fast times. It was a great day of racing. And the thing that was exciting about it to me, we knew there was going to be a world record chase on the women's side. We know there are going to be probably pretty fast times on the men's side. And when you have those sort of rabbited record chases, there is a tendency to be like, oh, is anything really even happening? The first half of the race, can I tune it out? Well, we did have drama in the women's race because Latessa Mbagide, she goes out on world record pace or very close to it. And there's another woman, Amane Bariso, hanging right with her the whole time. I'm just struggling to understand how this is possible. Bariso, she hadn't run... She'd run one marathon in the last two years. She has a 220 personal best. It was crazy. What turned out to what was supposed to be a world record attempt turned out to a genuine race. And then with 7K to go, Bariso drops G'day, and we got a huge upset. So fast times, an upset on the women's side, a debut record on the men's side. Couldn't have asked for much more from Valencia. Total craziness, John thing with Valencia essentially I thought was is G'day going to break the world record I didn't even look who else was in this race on the women's side I thought nobody had a chance unless she just completely blew up and then the men's race okay you had the world champ Tamara Tola there I know they run fast but I'm shocked anyone ran 201 but Kelvin Kiptum I couldn't have I don't think I've ever seen that name before. I mean, I must have seen it, but that's it's obscure enough to me that uh, no, I just would have just because he's a Kiptum, I would have said he's a runner, but it's not even a name that registered with me. And I don't see why it would. Well, then, I mean, he has run 58.42 in the half marathon, but it's not as if, you know, he was the best half marathon guy in the world when he ran that back in 2020 he was only 20 years old but he got sixth in that race in valencia so when he's making his debut there were two guys who've run faster than him in the half that were also making their debut with uh alexander matiso who's run 57 59 and philemon kiplimo who's run 58 11 so you would think if someone was going to run really fast it might be one of those two and we didn't even mention the craziest part of this race is that he ran his second half in 6015, which is the fastest second half of any marathon ever, unless you count the Ineos 159 challenge. So that to me was the most, the wildest part of his race is coming at about 30 K it's down to three guys, him, Gabrielle GA of Tanzania and 
Tamarat Tola, the world champion. One second, Kiptum is turning around to them and motioning them to go past and wanting them to take the lead. Neither of them do it. And then the next second he takes off, he drops a 14 flat and then he runs a 14.05. He dropped a 28.05 10K from 30K to 40K. It's one of the most insane closes I've ever seen. John, I, I took this one personally. For new listeners, you probably should give some credentials, but my claim to fame is being a 28.06 10K runner. Now that's the pace you run in a marathon. Well, I saw a thread on the message boards. How many Americans could you just throw in at the 30K mark of the Valencia Marathon in 2022 and have them win the race? I don't think it's that many on the roads. I mean, is it more or less than 20 guys who could do that? What was the split? I didn't even hear what y'all were saying. He had a sick 10K split here at the end? 28.05 from 30K to 40K. Wow. And it wasn't just the winning times that were impressive. I mean, you had seven women break 219. Eight men, that's a record. Eight men, um, excuse me, 18 men broke 208. That's a new record. Eight national records, just ridiculous. Um, I mean, Weldon's the money bag. He's the CEO. Can we make this an annual trip for John or for Let's Run.com? We've got to treat this as a major from now on f- forever and ever. Like, all, all the Americans will probably talk a little bit about the U.S. marathon champs. They go to, to run a downhill course in California. If I was them, I would just fly to Valencia. I mean, there was 80 men under 220 this year. So if you're looking for a time a qualifier, why not go there? By the way, though, that was less than Boston in 1983. 84 men did it in Boston 1983. Throwback. But, of course, you had seven women do it in Valencia this year. So 87 this year in Valencia, total humans under 220, 84 in Boston in 1983. Hey, if we're going to have an annual trip to Valencia in December, hell yeah, I'll do that every year. The one thing I would have, I would also say about Sunday's race, the conditions were perfect. I can't remember any marathon ever having weather this good for running fast. It was high 40s, low 50s the entire time. A little sunny at the end, but mostly overcast. The wind was under about five miles per hour, and it's a fast course in Valencia. It's even a net elevation drop, though it's pretty minimal. But it starts on a bridge, and then the finish is the area that the bridge goes over. So really a perfect once-in-a-lifetime weather conditions for a lot of these marathoners. And then you get put all these fast athletes, deep fields, pretty good pacemaking. You're going to get some crazy results like we saw. Well, I, I don't know if it was once-in-a-lifetime. I mean, Valencia two years ago. Now, admittedly, that was the super Valencia because everyone else canceled that year with COVID. But in some places that they were even deeper than this year's race. So the weather must've been pretty damn good then as well. By the way, folks help us out, help send John to Valencia by next year, by joining supporters club. We did two at bonus podcast. You get a bonus podcast every week. You get so much stuff, free shirt, go to let's run.com slash subscribe and join the supporters club today. And Hey, even if you're not a supporters club member, we've got the long sleeve t-shirt in. We haven't even put it up on the website yet. It's just been for podcast listeners so far. Go to shop.letsrun.com, enter the code PODCAST. You'll save $10 on your short shirt. Get the long sleeve shirt. It's kick-ass. I actually get them in, I think, on next Monday, so I can ship them out to you, hopefully before Christmas. Shop.letsrun.com, enter the code PODCAST. Supporters Club members, you save 15%. Check the special forum for that discount code. I don't want to give it out on the internet because then everybody would use it. But, John, 
I have had one question about Valencia, and I have not asked you ahead of time. This will be your pure instant reaction. I figured out why Valencia is quickly becoming my favorite marathon in the world. It's not just the cool Art Deco finish, the museum there. It may be this. And I don't know the answer. I could also be embarrassing myself right now as we record this live. Does Valencia have a wheelchair race? It does. Oh. But it was apart from seeing the wheelchair athletes finish, I would not have known because I didn't see them on the broadcast at all. I didn't even see the finish on the broadcast. The one thing I did see was the media center is right at the finish line. Like it's outdoors. So you can see the finish line. I did see a wheelchair athlete cross the finish line, but the, I mean, we've complained how all these times about the broadcasts and races and everything. I thought the broadcast that Valencia did for free was pretty good. Uh, and it, one of the reasons they're only trying to cover two races simultaneously instead of four. The one other, the one complaint I would say their results and tracking was had serious issues during the race. It was very difficult to get live results. Well, they were giving 5K splits, but actually finding live results and tracking on their website was very tough. Otherwise, though, I think they did a great, pretty great job, especially with the, the broadcast. Was, it's just, look, having a free broadcast that's focused on the two elite races, that's what you want. They're probably not used to having, like, you know, tens of thousands of people internationally, like, hitting the server for traffic and but this is how it should be done done i don't think robert is against a wheelchair race i'm all for a wheelchair race people want to get out participate inclusion great thing but there's no money there's no reason that a wheelchair race needs prize money tv coverage uh, i i want to see the runners running fast i think that's what the majority of people want to see when i turn into the nba i don't watch the you know wheelchair basketball i watch the nba so let's try to keep it that way. I'm fine for some wheelchair races having prize money. I just don't think, in general, it's nearly as competitive, nearly much of an elite sport as, as, the, as the able-bodied race. And they can do it every week. So why do we need to see the same people competing at all six majors? So Valencia gets it right. They let their participation. They, they let them inspire the masses. But they don't focus on it on the broadcast because it's not, for the most part, an elite sporting event that people want to watch live. Just show it as highlights after the fact, during a break, etc. But where do we go from here? Like, it was very interesting. We, we fly you over at the airport in Frankfurt. You bump into G'day's coach, and it was fascinating. You got an exclusive interview with him the day before the press conference. And the big takeaways to me was, he says, the longer she runs, the better. He thought the marathon would be her best distance. He says, I think she can break the world record. This weekend, which didn't happen, obviously. And I think that ultimately she can break 210. Do we now, after her running, what, 216, do we think that was fake talk? Is that off the charts? I mean, I still think a world record could be possible, but sub 210, are, are, are we popping the brakes a little bit on the good day hype train? Or do is it just a matter of, hey, what I did say in the Supporters Club broadcast on Friday – the one thing that made me nervous, because I said, if I hear she's going for the world record, I think she'll break it. I said that months ago. But I did say, you know, if she doesn't get it, this sounds like a big jump in mileage. Her peak mileage when she's training for the track is like 81 miles a week. I think she got up to 115. 30, to, to increase your mileage by like 
in the span of three months is a lot. And I thought maybe that's too much for her to handle. It's going to take a while for that to kick in. Well, I think some perspective here. She did run 216.49, which is the fastest debut marathon ever. I think we have to pump the brakes on 209 a little bit. That is still way out there. I'm not saying it's impossible, but we need a little bit more evidence, I think, at this point. Though if you look 62.52 in the half, she runs like a little faster there. That's something you could say is kind of... I'd say 209 is a bit better than that performance. But yeah, right now, she had a great race plan for this race. I think they approached it very smartly in terms of the race day execution. Go out a little bit behind pace. They came through in 68, sorry, 67, 18, I believe at halfway, but she was continually picking it up. And with 35 K, it was sorry, about 33 kilometers into the race. They were on two fourteen ten 10 pace. The world record was 1404. G'day, was running faster than world record pace for her last few 5K splits. So I'm thinking, all right, this thing's going down. The problem is she hit the wall. She slowed down. Today is human. We learned in this race. She slowed down the last five from 35K to the finish. She only ran 756 mile pace. Still hung on to run 216.49, but she got tired. That sometimes happens in your marathon debut. She's in uncharted territory. Never run that far in a race before. I don't think there's anything to be ashamed about, but they'll reevaluate, you know, what we need to do to make her a little bit stronger. How can she make sure she handles that last 7K in training and the race? I still believe she will break the world record, but I also think we have a ton of talent in the marathon right now. So breaking the world record, running 213 might not make you the best marathoner in the world because Bridget Koskai might be able to do that. Amane Bariso might be able to do that. Tigius Sefa might be able to do that. It's a loaded event right now. John, yeah, she may run 213, but that doesn't mean she'll get the world record. I think that's where we're going with this. And this might have been a victory f- for the marathon. Is it Mother Marathon? What's called her mother, the Mother Marathon? I think the Mother Marathon's female. But with all these fast times, super shoes, I'm glad 26.2 miles still means something. And maybe we got ahead of ourselves. His, recent history, like modern history says, nobody goes out and breaks the world record in their first marathon. Like the, even guys who got the record, like the Turgots, the Gabriel Selassie, great guys at shorter distances, didn't break the marathon world record in the first time. Paula Radcliffe, Bridget Koskai, they didn't go out and break it in their, in their first race. So granted, we've never seen someone run the half, like we've seen Gede run the half, but did we just get a little bit ahead of ourselves? Well, I don't think it was unreasonable to say she could break the world record. She was on pace through to, she was running world record pace through about 33, 35 kilometers. So she came close. Now she totally fell apart. Well, didn't, she didn't drop out or anything, but she slowed down a lot. I don't think it's crazy to say that she could have broken the world record, but she just didn't have an A day. You know, she she got tired. She wasn't quite re- well. I guess it was not that she didn't have an A day. She just wasn't quite ready to do it, which is what we found out. But there's always going to be something of an unknown. I don't think the hype was unjustified, though, based on what she had done at shorter distances. The one thing none of us saw coming was that she was going to have someone running with her. Bariso, it's pretty crazy. Well, then I told Robert this, and if you were part of our supporters club. 
you heard this story on the Sunday podcast. But in the technical meeting the day before the race, they're supposed to tell the rabbits, they tell all the athletes how fast the pacemakers will be going and for how long. And they finished the technical meeting and they didn't say how fast G'day's pacemakers were going. And so Gemadu Dedefo, who is the coach of Bariso, was asking around. He's like, how fast are the leaders going? He knew she was in close to world record shape. So he finally had to, he asked Richard Naruka, who was one of the broadcasters, and Richard had heard from Valentine Trow, who was G'day's agent, that it was going to be 67 flat at the half. So then he heard that. He's like, okay, Bariso, you just go with that because you can run that kind of shape. So it's pretty funny. He thought his athlete was in world record shape, but even he wasn't sure what pace they were going with. He had to go sort of, I don't know if it was an oversight by the organizers or if G'day's team was trying to play it close to the vest, but she went with her and she broke her late in the race. It's crazy. I give her coach credit for even thinking it was a possibility, but maybe he sees these talent. I just wouldn't be projecting out a 220 marathon or to someone who can break the world record. So for those of you not familiar, before she came in, she re- debuted in 2.20.48 in Dubai in 2016, which is, you know, very good debut, especially then pre-Super Shoes. That's good. Then she ran Prague the next year, 2.22. I think she got the win there. Then she got injured. She ran, she won Mumbai in 2020, 2.24, but struggled with injuries till this year. She goes to Mexico City in August and runs 225. We need some sort of conversion for that, John, because that's at 7,000 feet. But I, 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 it's still just a shocking run. Kudos to her coach for even thinking that. But I think what my biggest takeaway in 2022 is women's marathoning has completely changed. I mean, we're at a whole other level. Oh, it is. Robert had this state stat in the week that was when Yalmzerf Yuhalor ran her debut in Hamburg in April. She ran 217.23. At the time, it was the debut record. At the time, she was number six in history of the marathon. Currently, she is number seven on the 2022 list. That's how insane we are in the women's marathon right now. Wait, what? Yeah. Wait, when was her time? When was she number six? April. Wow, that's just unbelievable stat. It, I mean, if you look at the 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 season's top list uh, for women's marathon, I'm on World Athletics website right now. 214, 214, 215, 216, 216. Before this year, the number of women who had run under 217, we had Bridget Kozgai, we had Paula Radcliffe. That was it. And this year, we've had five women do that. We've had 10 women break 218. And 218, like five years ago, it was cra- you were crazy, crazy fast if you ran a 218. We've had 27 women run a 218 this year. And I, I don't know why it took so long for the shoes to really kick in, if it's the shoes, or maybe there's something else going on. Because they were, I guess there were limited marathons in 2020 and 2021 due to the pandemic, but... Why won't we seeing this kind of breakthrough in 2018 or 2019 when the super shoes still exist? Do you have any theories as to that? Well, then I think women's running has just become a lot deeper. Look at the track, you know, tons of times under 1430s, 1420s. So maybe some of that super shoes, 
But women's running's never been as competitive as men's or as deep. There's no t- there's no Title Nine in Africa, so people sort of forget. I mean, this is you know an Ethiopian woman, but like the Kenyan women were. It's, it's a very sort of patriarchal society. The women are second class in many ways. Like they didn't have the opportunities to compete until you know really wasn't the 2010s that they really started meddling consistently on the track. And now I think you're seeing that go to the roads. That's where the money is. Uh, I think technology, it's a combination of things. But I, I, my general takeaway w- would be that internationally we're seeing w- what we saw on the men's side catch up, essentially. And that is much greater depth from Africa. I I think you're on the right path there. Combine that with the shoes and then some you know, these races that just make it. I think once one or two women start running this fast, others say, oh, 217, that used to be a fantasy time that no one would ever run, or 215 or 216. And now it's becoming pretty regular that world marathon majors are running 217, or one in 217 or faster. I don't think athletes are as afraid of going after a crazy pace like that, or they want to keep up with what, their competition's doing. Now, the one other thing, this is the elephant in the room, we have to discuss it. How much do we think doping has to do with any of this? Because these times in Valencia, I look at them and part of me is like, okay, conditions were perfect for running. If you put a ton of talented guys and women in these elite fields and set them off at a fast pace, some of them are going, some of them are going to hang on and run super fast times. I'm not, I didn't expect anyone would close in 60, 15, but when you have 19 guys on two Oh three pace through halfway. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if I, one or two of them caught a flyer and run two Oh two, two Oh three, that sort of thing. The same time, the skeptic in me would say Kenya is in the midst of a major doping crisis. We've already seen some top Kenyan athletes get busted. Lawrence Chirono, uh, Diana Kipuke. I I guess how, these athletes who won, Kelvin Kiptum and Armani Bariso, they're not linked to doping. Bariso's coach, Gemadu Defo, is one of the top coaches in Ethiopia. He has a long track record of success. It's not like his group has come from nowhere, but this year already, he's had Tigis Decefa and Armani Bariso, who had run some stuff at other distances or in the marathon a few years ago, but essentially had done nothing the last three or four years, then come out and run these crazy unexpected marathon performances. Like how suspicious are we of any of this? And is it fair to be kind of skeptical, even though Kipton, Bariso, some of these other, some, some of the other athletes haven't done anything to actually directly link them to doping. I'm not sure how to answer that one, John. Is it fair? I don't know if fairness has anything to do with it. I think one is, I just want to say this the right way, right? Like, not that one should be suspicious, but I don't blame you for being suspicious. But I give everybody the benefit of the doubt. I don't assume just because you run fast, you're doping. Could some of these performances be because of doping? Yes. Do I think they're all because of doping? No, I don't. So that's where I come down. If I thought the whole thing was a scam, I wouldn't watch it. But... I mean, do you think there's some new super drug, John? Like, why all of a sudden? I don't. I don't. That doesn't make sense. All of a sudden, 
they, they've had access to the drugs in these companies for a, countries for a while, long time. Um, I think the anti-doping protocols are actually stronger than they were five years ago. So I think it's harder to dope and not get caught. Now, I doubt Kelvin Kiptum is in like the testing pool. He, he's that, that much of an outlier. I doubt he's been seriously tested. And that brings me to the Let's Run.com deleted post of the week. This is a new segment here. We got a little music here, John. And to be the deleted post of the month, you don't have to be deleted, actually. You just have to be reported. John, I see here Kelvin Kiptum's coach is a pharmacist. He's one guy says he's self-coached, and another guy says his coach is a pharmacist. Can you explain? That's news to me because I asked him who is his coach and he says he trains alone in Chip Corio and he coaches himself. John, that was a joke. Someone implying he's doping. Oh, okay. Sorry. And, and El Quignano said, we call the, the word here is chemist, not pharmacist. So but I don't know. I just read that and I laugh. I'm like, okay, I get the point. I, I, I see how people say that, how, how with especially the recent history in Kenya, People want to think he's dirty. Go ahead. The the burden isn't on him to prove he's clean, but he needs to back it up with other performances at this level. He needs to get tested a lot more often, and anything he wants to do to show he's clean, like, yeah. I'm not saying I think he's dirty, but I totally see how people's antennas, you know, are going off. Well, I think the tough thing here is we don't know a lot about these athletes. We're over here in the United States, and then they'll pop up and run. You know, there are other road races some of them are running in Europe, but we're really majorly, mainly paying attention to the major marathons. So over here, we cover a lot of these athletes coming through high school and college, and then in the pros, we see them race more often. We kind of know what their setups and know who we can kind of believe in and who we can't. Someone like Kelvin Kiptum, he trains on his own, then shows up. He hasn't raced since October 2021. He shows up and runs Valencia. I mean, I, I just don't know anything about the guy. And I don't think it's fair to me to just say, oh, he has to be doping. This performance is unbelievable. When I haven't seen what he's been doing, I haven't been living with him or anything like that. At the same time, I think you'd be foolish to just you have to consider all the relevant facts in all these situations. Is my guard up a little bit when someone comes out of nowhere and runs a time like this? Yes, of course it is. But there's a difference between my guard being up and then saying, oh, this guy has to be doping based on no evidence. But it's just, it's tough in the sport of running because we have been let down so many times by these big stars. Like, look, four years ago in Valencia, Abraham kept them, a different guy, breaks the world record, comes out of nowhere, he's the half marathon world record holder, and then he's popped six months later. That's why people try, that's why some people don't get that excited by these times because they're wondering, well, how long are these times actually going to be official? So it's a difficult place for the sport, but I think like you said, you ultimately, if you're not going to at least give some of these athletes the benefit of the doubt, why follow the sport at all? You're not going to enjoy it. Right. And it's just grossly unfair to like, oh, that performance is too good. It's got to be dirty. So where do you draw the line? Right. But if a 36-year-old Kinesia Bekele, who hadn't run a great race in, in years, runs a 201, what do you run? 201-41 in Berlin in 2019? Yep. Do I think some like young guy in his prime who's just banging out 59-minute, 
half marathons regularly might be able to do the same? Yes. I think with perfect weather, this guy's very young, right? Officially, he was 20 years old when he ran his 58.42. So if he's actually 20 when he runs that fast, and he's only, he just turned 24, he turned 24 like two days before the race. Yeah, you could just say this guy's, sorry, he just turned 23 just before the race. So yeah, he could just be a huge all-time talent who is just coming into his own. Right, and this guy could be the future. But, you know, if Kipchoge, who's been at the top since 2003 and is officially... 40 years old. He set the Masters World Record in London in April, in uh, November. Sorry, in October. No, Kipchoge, 38. Oh, Kipchoge, yeah. You know, essentially runs, what, the world record at the age of 30, almost 38 years old? I'm not, uh, I could believe in a youth movement. Hey guys, had to take an important call. Well, if I could just tape record that call and put it on this podcast, people would have paid for it. I I knew, I'm pretty sure I think I know what it was about. And I'm like, I wish I could hear this one. But what are y'all talking about? Kipchoge here, Boston? Uh, actually, well, we should go to that. We were finishing up Valencia and discussing how skeptical we should be of times with all the doping busts in Kenya. And, you know, is it fair to speculate about how suspicious these times may or may not be in the top of the elite races? But can I just say this? I, I saw the, the today for the first time, a video of the women's finish. And I probably shouldn't say this, but she didn't look like a runner to me. Like, I don't know. Women, this is proof positive, folks. You don't have to be super thin to be elite, 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 right? Isn't she kind of a little bit bigger than most runners? Or is that just me being not seeing a good video, John? Yeah, I wasn't. I didn't notice anything out of the ordinary when I was watching. Just her form wasn't good. I was like, this is the third fastest woman of all time. I guess Paula Racka's form was atrocious. I was about to say it, Robert. But all right, for you guys, who was the biggest surprise? I mean, these races were both so shocking. Kelvin Kiptum or Armani Barisa? Like, is there a way to even rank these on the surprise level? They're both 10 out of 10 for me, but... Yeah, I would just say they're equal. I know. I would say Barisa is bigger because, look, she's 31. She's been around. Now, you, this other guy's young. He just turned 23 like two days ago. He's broken 60 minutes six times. So maybe the marathon's his thing. He's going to the event. Like, he, he's pretty talented. But, but the Barista thing, I, I can justify 220 and 2016 pre-Super Shoes. That should be 218 at a minimum with the Super Shoes. You know, so she's improved. I can see 216. Now, 214 is a little bit of a shock. But And then you combine the fact that, I mean, and I, well, did you give John a hard time? I mean, John's going out of his way to point out this is the second athlete that's had an amazing breakthrough with the same coach or same agent. But, you know, the uh, other day, he didn't even want to mention that Stephen Haas is is the agent of both Hassan Mead, who tested positive, and she'll be, Shelby Behulahan. I had to add that into the article. I don't think Stephen Moss, Haas is a doping agent, but I just wanted to point it out there. I don't have an issue with you adding that to the article, Robert. It's 
fine. I mean, I don't, I don't think it's an issue pointing out associations these athletes have. I mean, Basel, they both have brown hair, blonde hair. I think at some point certain associations. Well, yeah, people are going to read into stuff if you're putting in these, these details. But also, I think if you're being fair, you say, yes, they have the same agent or whatever. As long as you're being fair to everyone, I don't see an issue, including that information. Essentially, if it's more than one and it's curious, people are like, look, we should start looking into this. And you just note it. But if you note it, then you should do it for everybody, right? Like their agent is this, their coach is this. I mean, and also speaking of agents, the agent for Kelvin Kiptum is Mark Korshjens, who's had a number of doping positives from his athletes in recent years. And again, I, th- I think that's just worth noting. All right, should we talk about Kipchoge? He's confirmed to Boston. That's exciting because it was starting to annoy me if he wasn't going to do it. And that's point number one. It's amazing that he's going to be there. Point number two is this field is... I can't believe it. It's not just Kipchoge and a bunch of has-beens. They've got Benson Caputo, 2022 Chicago champ. Evan Chabet, 2022 Boston and New York champ. So they basically have the winners of all the marathon majors? Every major except for London, which was Amos Caputo. I mean, who's going to be running London? Normally London gets everybody. Boston got Kipchoge and a bunch of other studs. This is amazing. I can't wait for it. If he wins this race, there's basically no holes in the CV. Loaded field, hilly course, no rabbits. He's already proven he's the best in the rabbit race, but he runs rabbit race after rabbit race after rabbit race after rabbit race. That's boring to me. He's run. He's won two unrabbited races. They're kind of important races. They're called the Olympic Games, and he's dominated. I mean, by 90 seconds most recently. So he's, he's proven he can do it without the rabbits, but he's never proven he can do it in the hills. So, and to me, uh, it, you know, most races, if you were back in the day, would have hills on them. I'm sure the original marathon had hills in it. So, you know, I, I think I said on the podcast, oh, someone needs to check the tape years ago that he would never win Boston. If he does, I mean, I'll bow down even more. I don't know. I'm not really willing to say he's not going to win it. I don't know if I really think that, but I was getting frustrated that he wasn't running it. Now he's doing it, taking on these people. They released a video. So, so excited. I love it. It's going to be fantastic. Boston's already essentially an American running holiday. If you're a serious runner, the Boston Marathon's a big deal for you in the United States. But now we get Kipchoge coming to the U.S. to run a marathon for the first time since Chicago in 2014. We'll see him running up Heartbreak Hill. We'll see him at the start at Hopkinton. We'll see him at the fi- coming through Kenmore Square. I'm already getting butterflies thinking about that. So it's going to be fantastic. And like you said, Robert, he's going to have to earn it. You know, this is a true test. And I think it's going to be really, really exciting Patriots Day. Now, I thought John might have jinxed him. Like in the article you wrote about it, you had four thoughts. And you said, we're going to see him turn into this and run up this hill. I thought, what if he gets injured? What if he drops out? What if he's a DNF? So if if it's a disaster for Kipchoge, Jonathan Galt is your, is your jinx. All right. Well, I hope there's no ear infection or anything else like that. But the other interesting thing, Robert, you bring up a good point. Who is going to run London? Normally, we say London's got the best field in the world. Year in, year out, it's not even a debate. But... 
next spring, at least on the men's side, that they're probably going to have the number one, two, and three from our 2022 world rankings with Evans Chabet, Benson Caprito, and Elliot Kipchoge in Boston. Uh, my hope, though, is London, maybe they even punt a little bit on the men's field and they just say, all right, we're going to throw all of our appearance money into the women. We're going to get Bridget Cosguy. We're going to get Perez Jepchirchir. We're going to get tickets to Sefa. We'll get G'day if she wants to run a Yehalor. All, some like five or six of these super fast women from this year, just throw them together in London and have them duke it out. I don't even care. You don't even need to have pacemakers in that one. I just want to see a mano a mano or, you know, female a female, whatever you want to call it. This is crazy. This might be the best Boston Marathon minfield ever. I don't know. Boston way back was sort of like almost a world championship, but I don't know if that's fair. But I'm shocked, John. Not just Kipchoge, but they stacked the field to make it competitive. I mean, when is the last time a marathon in the U.S. had the three best in the world, essentially? Well, Boston this past April was pretty good. We had Perez Jepchirchir, the reigning Olympic and New York champ, against Jocelyn Jepkosguy, the London champ from last fall. I think you could make the argument that was one versus two. I don't know if it was deeper than, you know, I don't think you could say three, four, five or whatever. And also, Boston's going to add more people. They added, they announced Kipchoge and then they announced anyone who was a former Boston champion. They usually like to roll out their champions first, but obviously Kipchoge is a huge name. So there might be some extra depth beyond that. But those three names alone, assuming they all make it to the start line healthy, is going to make it one hell of a race. And shout out to... I think he's a friend of Let's Run, Jack Fleming. He's the new CEO of Let's Run. I have no idea if he deserves any credit for this, but hell, I'm going to give it to him. He just became the CEO, and they get this field. And I don't know too much about Jack. I mean, John, you're more in Boston, but I've known Jack, or at least like you see him at the sport. Like He's one of us. He's just really into distance running. I know he's in the competitive side of the sport. So like a guy like that is in charge of the BA and the Boston Marathon. And maybe they've always had that. It's just, to me, like a great thing. I know they're going to keep putting and maybe even more of an emphasis on the top end of the sport. So great day for Boston. And, and Weldon called him a CEO of Let's Run, a CEO of the BAA. I'm glad you're saying nice things about him. I don't know him, Weldon. I wouldn't recognize him from Steve, Adam, or Eve. But that's not true. I don't think I do. And... There was a thread on Let's Run where he was just getting bashed. I'm glad you think very highly of him because I was like, do I even know who this guy is? Robert, anyway, Robert, anytime someone gets a job and someone – the worst threads on Let's Run are coaching jobs. People are jealous. Let's call what that is. But the other thing is with the Skip Chogage thing, people are pumped. You're reading the comments on Let's Run. People are like, oh, I'm, I will be in Boston. Where can I watch? Where should I stay? Other people are like, oh, I'll run the 5K. And – Kipchoge talked to the media yesterday. I was on this teleconference with him. I know I probably should reach out to the BA before I plug this thing because they didn't clarify this. But they're like, "Hey, what about all the fans? You know, forty thousand fans and runners." And Kipchoge always says some interesting stuff. You know, some platitudes. Does he? he a lot of times he doesn't say anything interesting. 
What do you mean? John, he talks about like the books and the reading, and this time he talked about how he could work at Yeah, but he talks he does that every time. He says, Oh, I've read this book, it motivated me. Oh, I'd love to run a beautiful race on Sunday. Those beautiful I mean beautiful race. Do it for humanity. Yes, it's inspiring, John. I'm sorry. It's inspiring the first time, but when he tried look, I I love watching him race. I think he's a I I think it's sometimes gonna be interesting to hear him speak. He is obviously very intelligent and well spoken. But sometimes he does have a tendency to just recycle the same talking points. I don't think he did this for Boston because he also mentioned he said he'd like to get the course record. He didn't commit 100% to breaking it. But I read in the Boston Globe, they said, you know, oh, it'd be nice to get the course record, which he doesn't normally talk about targeting specific times. It's so interesting because I listened to the whole press conference. They asked him like three times if he's after the course record. And essentially he said no every single time. <laughs> But, well, they must have found a quote in there that said... <laughs> I've got all these quotes here. I wonder if I can play a clip here. If you're going to play a clip, I want to hear the McDonald's clip. The McDonald's clip... It's just... John says he sometimes is not sure what he's saying. I'm like, what the hell was this about? Somebody asked him about how he grew up in a poor village and as a teenager he had a job delivering milk. And he started with that and said it had made him humble. And then he ended with this. Uh, I think if I could be an American, I would be actually working in McDonald's and, 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 and I, can, I, can, I can leave McDonald's and trade. So there you have it, people. The Boris Berrian, right, John? Boris Berrian won the world indoors. He had a job at McDonald's. Uh, people- I don't think he had a job while he was the world indoor champion. He had a job before that and then he got a Nike and then a New Balance contract. All these like hacks... They don't even have to work a job saying they deserve sponsorship. Kipchoge says he could do it while working at McDonald's. Okay, John, here's here's more what I saw him sort of saying about the course record. My plan is so it's not really to run a course record or anything else, but my plan is I want to see myself winning. Uh, if I win with a course record, I will be happy. If I win with a good time, I will be happy. If I win with any time, I will be able to, 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 to really be in history books as a winner. So I, in all means, I want to win. Okay, so that's good context to have because he did say that's basically what the quote from the Globe was saying is he'd be happy to get a course record. But I guess, ever look, that's not exactly breaking news. At news, everyone will be getting happy to get a course record. But to get the course record in Boston, you have to go out and run it. It's, you know, it's, it, sorry, you have to, most years you're not going to have the lead pack going out on 61, 30 pace or whatever. And there are no pacemakers. So if he's going to go out after the course record, it might be a solo run. Which would be foolish. Like as good as he is, it's foolish. First of all, there's so much has to go your way. The weather can make it impossible. It could be 80 degrees. There could be a headwind. Normally not a headwind, but you know, you got to see what the weather, but then even if the weather was good, do you really want to risk it? Like it's safer to, to roam with the pack for halfway and then blast it. Well, yeah. I think to get the course record in Boston, you have to have the wind at your back. Maybe Kipchoge without it could, but yeah, versus this field, you want to risk it because John, we haven't written anything up on this, but you could easily say Kipchoge said, this is going to be his hardest marathon ever. Here you go. The race will not be easy. It will be the hardest race ever. But uh, 
I'm happy for them to be there. Uh, the most prepared uh, man will take the day on 17th of April, so I have no worry. If I will be the prepared one, well done, good. Evans, Jebet, Benson, Kapruta, Lelisa, all the guys will be more prepared than me and more planned than me. That's sport. That's amazing. That's the money quote. You need to write an article about that right now. This is his hardest race ever. Wow. This is cool. Now, I do got to give, I gave Jonathan a little hard time earlier. I'm going to give Weldon a little bit of hard time because I couldn't be on the conference call. And I said, Weldon, do you have the guts to ask Elliot Kipchoge about the fact that his training partner recently tested positive for a banned substance? And the answer is no, Weldon does not. It's like Weldon was like the guy at the bar and there's the really, really hot chick there and everyone wants to talk to her and they don't have the guts to do it. And then, you know, ask her out. And Weldon goes up and, like, says, like, says something to her, but doesn't really talk to her. Right, Weldon? Is that a good analogy, what you did? No. I asked him about the doping. I'm the only one to ask about doping. Ask about the, all the doping positives in Kenya this year. I didn't. I don't even know who his training partner is. I didn't have the details. I, I feel like that's a little more gotcha journalism. I mean, hell, the way the running media works, you don't want to be the guy. What's the guy's name? Like Fox News who asked the, the, the sort of gotcha questions at the White House press conferences? Well, it's not a gotcha question to say one of your training partners was recently banned for three years for testosterone, Philemon Cacheron. He admitted to it. Does this concern you? Did you know him very well? Like, what do you make of this? We don't get the chance to talk to Kipchoge very often. So I don't think it would be a gotcha. I think it's... It, the freight it's it would be gotcha to say like how can we be sure you're not do- i mean even that isn't really a doping isn't really gotcha to say how can we trust you that sort of thing but i think if you phrase it as this is something people are curious about what did you know can you give us some context on the guy i think that's totally fair game well john the way you phrase that it is perfectly fair game i wish you'd given me that information but i got a text like the n- night before and like robert's like you need to do this thing at 9 a.m well, I take my daughter to school at 9.20. So anyway, John, maybe more questions for Kipchoge. We got to get get that out there. And that's the way to do it, respectfully and what have you. I think the other thing that came out from talking to him, people were like, hey, man, you know what Boston has? Hills. Are you going to change your training? Here's what he said to that. I will not change my training, but um, I trust my training actually is uh, is handling all 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 the courses, which uh, for the next four months I think I'll be fit enough to to go through the the Boston route to actually uh, encounter those hub and town uh, uh, situations actually in in Boston. Uh, it's good to experience that thing because I've been running mostly the, the flat courses in Europe and and, and uh, why not? Why not run in Boston and, and experience another chapter of uh, running up and down and, and, and feel that the sweetness of actually having run, running through a hill? I think that's interesting to hear. I wouldn't be shocked. I'm not shocked that he's not going to change the most successful training program in the history of the marathon. But 
I think it's also worth pointing out, we've seen a lot of people with very fast PRs come up to Boston and not do anything. Remember Dennis Comedo a few years ago? I mean, this is not a course where, oh, if you come in with the fastest PB, you're definitely going to be able to win. It values someone who can handle these abrupt changes in pace, who can close really hard at the end if they need to, who can handle the pounding of the downhills at the start and then the uphills and then the downhills through Brookline again. So, but I, I trust that him and Patrick Sang will be able to figure out a program that he's not going to come in with his pants down. You know, he, I think he'll be fine. But yeah, you got to be just mentally and physically prepared. I mean, I bet he's training on hills already. So that's maybe why he doesn't have to change it that much. But I think the idea that, oh, just because he's the world record holder, that guarantees he's going to be successful in Boston. No, I think it's because he's the best marathoner of all time. He's shown time and again, like he's really, really good. But yeah, we have seen this course humble athletes in the past. Oh my God. I was doing a little bit of research. Do you guys realize? Kipchoge's run 201? He's a world record holder? No. Do you realize that he was the junior cross-country championship? We always talk about the cross-country people go to Boston and New York. I knew that he was like, had run the senior race. I was thinking he had gotten second as a junior. He was like fourth and fifth as a senior. Wow, 2003 world junior. All right. This is this is my yeah. favorite thing. Robert has 10 years of evidence of Kipchoge being the by far the greatest marathoner humanity's ever seen. But now that he no. sees that he won some 8K cross-country race 19 years ago, that is what tells him he can win the Boston Marathon. John, cross-country is the opposite of what Kipchoge is good at. Kipchoge is good at running a certain consistent pace forever on a flat course. We know he's amazing at that. And he's also good at running in the pack with everybody else in the Olympics and then destroying them. But Boston's different. I think if he's smart, he just runs in the pack. Yeah, but what, like, so he, this is an 8K from 2003. This really proves, oh, this is the same, like, he's a totally different athlete now. I just don't see how it really has any relevance at all. Some people are not good. At, they're, they're rhythm runners. Weldon was a rhythm runner. They're not good at breaking up their rhythm. Like I, I think that if you have a steeplechase background or a cross-country background and we're good at it, it means something. I do think it's significant. Well, yeah, but like, what about as a pro? He wasn't the greatest cross-country guy as a pro. I mean, Bekele... I believe 2005, they went head to head and he got totally destroyed. Does that not mean anything? Or we just, oh, he got fifth. He was 31 seconds behind. Like, are we going to cherry pick the results? He won one cross country race, but then another one he didn't do quite as well. I'm just saying, I know that he's minutes better or way better than everybody else in in a regular marathon. The the lack of the, the, uh, the lack of, the hilly course was a question mark to me. Now I'm more confident that he's going to be able to handle the hilly course. Okay. Even though we don't even know if that course in Lausanne was 2003 was even hilly. Robert and I were there, John. So You were at World Cross in 2003? Yes, we were. Was it a hilly course? John, that's not true. I was, I've never been to Switzerland. That's all, I mean, I, I was not there. I think I may have been to Switzerland, but I was, I was not there. I was there. I'm pretty sure John looked it up. It was a, at a horse race racing facility. Just confirm I was there. We went to a World Cross in Ireland. Yeah, L'Institut Equestre National in Avanche near Lausanne, Switzerland. I feel like the great Tanya Baker 
Princeton track and field fame was like working abroad in Switzerland. Some of us went over and watched the race. All right. Anyway, that, that's plenty on Kipchoge. We have a lot of other things to get to. So any final thoughts on the GOAT coming to Boston? Did I mention this 10K, John, afterwards? You were about to, and then you kind of lost your train of thought. So yes, please tell us about this. One final quote. People are so pumped about him coming. And Kipchoge then with the fans says this. And even after the race, I will welcome most of them to run together uh, uh, 10 kilometers post-race, which I think all the post on uh, 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 public will come in and we run together. Did Kipchoge just invite us all to a 10K? I don't know, like right after the Boston Marathon? Is there going to be a public race? Should I reach out to the BAA? Maybe the weekend after they should have a race, like a Ilya Kipchoge, just greatness run, community run. I think he just invited us all to join him for a 10K run in Boston. I don't know when or where, but that's where I live. So uh, sounds like a good idea to me. I mean, he's one of the few guys who is, well, I don't know if he's a household name, but he's the most famous distance runner alive. So if you're going to have an event like that, yeah, we'll get media coverage. People show up. I think it would be awesome. It's a good way to grow the sport and get people caring about it. Seth Demore, John. John, is his commitment to Boston, like, is it publicized on the local sports station, the night, nightly newscast? Do you watch the nightly newscast? Uh, it- I don't watch the nightly news. I didn't hear about it. For, I mean, the, the Globe ran a cup. The Globe ran a story on it. So what page of the paper? I, I don't know. I don't get the physical paper. Well, does Kipchoge, does Kipchoge do Evite? Like, where can I RSVP to this 10K? Like, it was going to be like a park run, and we just all show up. And Well, yeah. if you were listening to what Weldon just said, we're not really sure on the details. So once we have them, I know that we have people at the BAA who listen mm-hmm. to this podcast, so maybe they'll be able to tell us what's going on, and we'll figure it out. Should that be our test to make sure they're listening this week? Like, we don't reach out to them? See if they get back to us? Someone at the BAA, I'm confident, will get back to us after this segment and tell us the details of the 10K. Anyway, Robert. We're talking about Boston, so let's talk about the BU 5,000 meters. So if you're an international visitor, we had the U.S. NCAA cross-country collegiate championships, what, two or three weeks ago? How many weeks ago was that, John? Uh, It was two weeks before the BAA 5, sorry, the Boston University 5K. So it's a little over two weeks ago. Yeah, and historically, people used to shut down their seasons, take a little bit of a break, and then gear up for indoor and outdoor track. But a lot of people now continue to train for about two weeks to try to get out an NCAA qualifier in this meet at Boston University, super fast track, and then take a break heading into the holidays before starting up for indoor track. <clears throat> so we had the 5,000s. I was fully expecting, I think all of us were fully expecting to see the first um, sub-15 in NCAA history by Caitlin Tuohy. And we didn't get it. We didn't even get close to it. Caitlin Tuohy didn't even win the race. She was spanked by Annie Rodenfels of the BA. To be honest, I'm not even sure if I know who Annie Rodenfels is. I think this is like the former D2 or D3 runner, John, who came to the BA and ran really fast last year in this race when she was rabbiting the BU 5000. And then she won it last year too, right? Yeah. So I do know who she is. But anyways, they were running a little bit over 15-minute pace. Then Tui fell off. Rodenfels wins in 15.08.22. Tui 15.15. Hilda 
Ole Mona of Alabama, 1517. Merson Chelligat, 1518. Blah, blah, blah. Um, Natalie Cook of Oklahoma State, the freshman, ran 1524. We falsely reported that was the under 20 U.S. record. It is not. It could be. Well, if she got drug tested, they could get it ratified as the U.S. under 20 record. The fastest ever 5K indoors by a U20 U.S. athlete was Sarah DeSanza in 2014. What happened to her? I She couldn't stay healthy. I mean, she got second at NCAA cross at age 19, and just I think she had consistent injury problems. Did she ever join a group? I, I don't know, Walden. What, what do we make of this? I mean, the point in the week that was, my weekly recap that I put up on the website today was cross-country and track are not the same thing. Like, you know, it's interesting. I, I put the results in the race and the results in cross country. I mean, Kelsey Camille, the third placer at NCAA, is only was only eighth in this race, fifteen twenty seven. And on the men's side, we haven't even talked about that. Kai Robinson, who was tenth at NCAs, gets the win, thirteen eleven. That's pretty quick. Alex Meyer, Edward Herrera, the pro for Under Armour, thirteen eleven. Alex Meyer, also Oklahoma State, he was fifth at NCAs, he's thirteen eleven. Drew Bosley, he was third though, is thirteen thirteen. Nico Young, who was second. And NCAs is 1315. So it's not necessarily, you know, th- there's a slight difference here between cross country, 10K, obviously, and, and 5,000 meters on the track. But w- what do we make of this? Dude, is, was I, was my hype train about a 1440s way off the mark, a sub 15? Or do you think, I mean, I, I do think that it's not like Tui took it safe. Like she was trying to run with Rodenfels and could. Well, yeah, if you listen to her interview afterwards, I think she spoke with someone from Sidious Mag. She's saying she felt a little bit run down after cross country and going into the race. I don't think she was feeling 100% at her best. If you put the Caitlin Tui from the NCAA, the morning of NCAAs, and you had her run a 5K on the track that day, I bet she runs like 15.05. And if she can get a little fitter, but I mean, if she can get super fit by about May and get in a race like we saw Abdi Noor and Nico Young get in last spring, like the one at Sound Running, I think she could still break 15 in that. But we have to remember, sub-15 by a collegiate woman, no one's ever done it. You're going to have to have things go right. And if you're feeling a little bit run down or a week or two past your peak, which Caitlin Tui is, you're not going to be able to do it. So... I'm not, I still think she can do it. I think she might, she will have the fitness to do it. The question is whether she will have the opportunity because now that she's got her indoor qualifier, she doesn't have a reason to go for another fast time indoors, I guess, unless they want to go off to the world championship standard. But maybe they just say, we're going to wait till outdoors to go after it. That's the problem is your lack of opportunities, not fitness. I view this one sort of as, I think she's ready to go sub 15. Lack of motivation isn't the right word, but there's going to be there can easily be an emotional letdown after NCAs. She sounds like she's a little tired. A lot of people this meet really still is though. Let's just check. Let's just get one out of the way. You don't have to go run a 5K now indoors. We'll get the NCAA qualifier out of the way because I could easily see Caitlin not running a 5K until the NCAs and maybe not even there. So it's just more like a safety thing. I don't I don't put too much stock in this race. Yeah, I'm curious if they'll try to put together a DMR and have her try to anchor a DMR or something like that. That would be fun. 
But and then on the men's side, I mean, should we mention that Alex Mayer, that's an American collegiate indoor record, thirteen eleven. I know it's a bunch of qualifiers there, but I remember when Tyler Day set the American collegiate indoor record a few years ago at of thirteen fourteen at BU. We treat it as a relatively significant accomplishment. So to me, that's it's pretty impressive. Well, Oklahoma State did great at this race. I mean, Natalie Cook did well. They had somebody win the 3K. But, John, until you told me, I didn't know it was a 3K record. And I did know that Parker Wolf, who's a sophomore at North Carolina, I mean, this kid was super young in high school, ran 13-19 and was like 11th place. He's pretty far back, but that's the American junior record. So should we care about the American collegiate record fastest time ever yes of course we should that's a good run it's just crazy because back in the day if you ran 13 11 it's amazing no collegians period were running 13 11 yeah like even the top pros in america 20 years ago (laughs) struggling to run that fast and kai robinson won this thing he you know what is he's aussie Yes. 1309. Look, it wasn't that long ago. It was less than 10 years ago that I drove up to New York. The the BTC guys were all going for the, trying to get the 1315. The world standard used to be 1315. It's 1307 now. But they had American record attack. This was the very best guys in America, the pros, not just the collegiate guys. And Lopez Lamont in 2013 ran 1307 flat. Bernardo God had the record at 1307. One five, um, but you know Galen Rupp had run thirteen eleven point four four. So we, Alex Myers as good as Galen Rupp was indoors. Well, no, super shoes, faster track, but yeah, thirteen eleven impressive time for sure. But big picture indoor track is here. I mean, there won't be much till Christmas, New Year's, but we've got the you know we have a new facility this year. The track at New Balance, John, we're going to have the New Balance indoor games there, which should be amazing. This facility is unbelievable. But are they going to have any other big meets there? Like, have you heard anything in Boston? And New Balance people, if you're listening, you still need to have something the weekend of the New York, of the Boston Marathon, just like you did last year. That should be an annual event. Why can't we have a great event in an indoor facility, even in April? Like, you have a captive crowd. You can have a party atmosphere you're going to have great weather because it's inside. I think that should be an annual event. So, John, have you heard anything about events at this thing besides New Balance Indoor Games? I mean, no, I know they're going to do a bunch of high school meets. They will have the New Balance High School Nationals will be there. And then in the New Balance Indoor Grand Prix. We won't have USAs. We know that that's going to be at Albuquerque. USATF finally announced it. Congratulations. Max Siegel earning that $3.8 million by getting the venue for USA announced USA is announced two months ahead of time. And even though the standards, I still think we're waiting for those, but yeah, I agree with you. Well, I was at that event last year. They had the Boston marathon weekend. It was really fun. The crowd was really into it. They got a huge turnout. I really hope that they do that again, because that was great. And maybe now we see the new balance. You Grand Prix. They like, putting some of these new balance athletes in sort of silly events to go after these contrived records. Maybe just don't do that. The new balance indoor Grand Prix and save that contrived record attempt for this 
one-off meet like they did last year with the distance medley world record. That would be great. And then we can focus on head-to-head stuff at MBIGP. Should indoor track races replace like the Stanford races, those time trials? Like it might be more fun. It's it's a larger crowd. I mean, it's not a larger crowd, but it seems larger when you're indoors. So instead of flying out to Stanford, why not just have it indoors in Boston? At least for the 5,000 meters. They, but, some coaches might try to do this. I remember ahead of the 2020 Olympics, before COVID hit, there was word that a bunch of Americans were going to go for the 10K standards at BU. And I think that we've seen Jesse Williams has figured it out pretty well in getting these fast 10Ks out in California that the pros are all right doing that. It's usually, if you have it late night, it's usually good weather and still conditions. But if the weather starts, if you get one bad weather race out there in California, they might start coming to Boston and just say, screw it. We know it's going to be perfect weather every time. The 10,000 on the track should be illegal, John. Indoors, you mean? Yes. Excuse me. One other thing about gimmicky New Balance. Well, it's not really gimmicky. She's the opposite of gimmicky when she actually races. Sydney McLaughlin, New Balance's poster child, was named World Athletics Athlete of the Year. And I thought about writing an article. To me, this is – look, she had the best season of anyone – but I think for the sport moving forward, I wouldn't call it disgraceful, but almost it shouldn't be allowed that she should be allowed to be the athlete of the year. Like there should be a minimum number of stand of, of competitions you have to compete in. If a baseball player, you know, played 80 games and hit 40 homers, that's projected to be 80 homers, but they wouldn't give them the MVP award because somebody else would have a better overall season. So I think she had the performances of the year, but I would give, I would have given, the world athlete of the year to someone else who did more than four or five competitions. And I think that track and field is shooting itself in the foot by not having minimum standards for rewards, awards like this. It's like FIFA should get rid of the penalty kicks. World athletics should have a minimum, you know, eight, 10 meet standard. Yeah. You look at baseball or football, they have a regular season MVP and then they have a Super Bowl or world series MVP. Sydney McLaughlin, hundred percent world championships, women's MVP. I have no doubt about that. She broke, had the best performance and then she anchored the women's four by four and a 47 split, but she really didn't have a regular season. She, she ran two races really before worlds. Then she ran one more afterwards in her main event. She didn't run on the diamond league at all. She hasn't run any diamond league races since 2019. The diamond league is basically the regular season, of professional track and field. So yeah, I can't get behind your your reasoning there, Robert. Even though, let's remember, yeah, none of us are disputing that she had the best performance of the year with her 400 world record in Eugene. 400 hurdles. Rare agreement on the podcast. She definitely should not be athlete of the year more I think about it. The athlete of the year voting was weird. I swear you voted for four athletes and didn't designate between them. Still, I never followed up with that. Also, can we point out Arian Knighton got the World Athletics Rising Star Award for the second year in a row. Well-deserved. I mean, he ran 19.49. He got a bronze medal as a high schooler at the World Championships, but he did not win the USATF U20 Athlete of the Year. So just pointing out the absurdity of that. Wait, what? Who did? Uh, It was Rasheen Willis. So they only have one award, one for – it's just boys and girls combined. But she got it. Well – Women's sport and men's sport are different, so maybe she'd have awards for both. 
But related to that, did you guys see that the World Athletics, they had a separate award for Woman of the Year? But they don't have one for Man of the Year? To me, that's like, I don't know. I, I see, understand the sentiment. They want to be like, it's probably done in the sense of, a, of like equality or something. Donna Frazier, it's more for like an executive. And I think she's done stuff for women's causes. But like, to me, I'm like, why have, I don't know. I just feel like either have a man of the year and woman of the year. You don't need it. I don't know. I just thought like have both. I'm like, oh, who's the man of the year? What's this woman of the year thing? And then I'm like, wait, they're just giving an award to someone because she's a woman? It's not like, on the athletic side of things I get, right? We're, it's two different sports. All right, just a minute ago, someone talked about USATF ridiculousness with the awards. Well, last week we talked about Max Siegel ridiculous $3.8 million salary, or maybe on the bonus podcast, but... It came, it came out last week that, once again, Max Siegel has made multiple millions of dollars. This is the head of USATF. He's made $3.8 million in 2021. And, I, again, I should write the editorial saying Sidney McLaughlin shouldn't be the athlete of the year. I, I should write an editorial. This guy needs to resign now. It's grossly out of, of what people with similar nonprofits make. It's a nonprofit with a $30 million operating budget, and he's making $11 million. Siegel got very defensive about this and people were blasting him online and whatnot. And he did a, he spoke to Ken Stone, right? Of the times of San Diego. And he said, have you seen one gold medalist critical of me? And he said, it was the worst week of his life. It should be the best week of my life. We should be going down to the USATF convention and celebrating all we've done. Instead, my daughter in college is being, seeing all these terrible things written about me. But anyways, he says, have you seen one gold medalist critical of me? This to me, this comment outraged me. What does he have to do with gold medalists? Does he coach Sidney McLaughlin? This is so stupid. It just, I, I couldn't believe it. And I don't know. To me, there's like USATF is no different than it was 20 years ago. Track and field is no different than it was 20 years ago. When Craig Mosbach was there, like we had an indoor series. We had a few meets. We had a lot of outdoor meets in Eugene. We had the meets on TV. It's about the same. It, I'm not saying it's mismanaged, but I don't think like we're at a way better spot than we were then. But Craig Mosbach probably made three or $400,000, not $3.8 million. This is absurd. And I wasn't the only one, the only Johnson to think that. And well, if you throw me in the mix, I wasn't the other Johnson either, Robert, because the great... Michael Johnson, our long-lost cousin. From Dallas, like us. From Dallas. I mean, we're definitely related. Johnson's got this quote from the time of San Diego that says, Max Siegel on $3.8 million USATFPA. I haven't seen one gold medalist critical of me. And Johnson's got a little emoji of a guy waging his hand, and then it's got... A number one times 12. So 12-time gold medalist. Michael Johnson thinks the pay is a little inappropriate. And Robert, saying Max should resign, that's just a rant. He shouldn't resign. The board needs to do its job and keep his pay in check. Max is paid what they pay him. Now, maybe I, I would argue, John and I talked about this a little bit on the Supporters Club podcast, 
that a nonprofit CEO should say, no, like this, this pay is too much. It's out of line. I, you know, he should say like, whoa, 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 whoa. You guys are out of, out of line here. You know, like this is just crazy. And he should, if he's doing a tremendous job, pay him, you know, commensurate pay for what someone in a similar size organization would do who's get, doing a really good job. And he, I, I would argue he's still making two or three X what, what those people would get paid. Yeah, no, it's it's way out of line. I think $1 million a year, if he was doing a good job, is plenty for an organization the size of USATF. And also, let's not forget, the COO, Renee Washington, was paid $1.6 million, which would be large if she was the CEO. She's the COO. So that's also equally absurd, and the board signed off on that. So I think in general, those two, their pay has to go way down. But the interesting thing was some of his his defense essentially was the team, the USATF track and field team at the world championships is the best in the world. Guess what? America's been the best track and field in the world team ever since the Soviet Union disbanded. I mean, it's always the best. They have the best athletes. It doesn't matter who the CEO is. Like the CEO is not coaching a thing Mo or Sydney McLaughlin or anything of that. So USATF is always going to have some of the best athletes in the world. The other thing is he wanted credit. He's signed 19 partnerships with sponsors or that sort of thing, which, yes, I do think you you get some credit for that. Absolutely. But he's, and he's also arguing the Nike deal, people viewed this as a foregone conclusion. He's claiming it's not. But, and this is why he's getting some of these deferred bonuses is for negotiating this massive Nike contract in 2014 that with the way inflation's going may not even end up being that good of a deal by the time it expires around 2040. But let's also remember they're paying an accounting firm of former Nike employees $1 million a year for 22 years as in consultancy fees. To me, if you were really a great negotiator and great CEO, perhaps you could have signed this Nike contract without paying a $22 million commission to an outside firm. So does Max deserve... I'm not saying Max should be like, oh, this guy should, you know, take a, he shouldn't be making any money at all or anything like that. That's not what I'm saying, but it's just excessive for anyone. Like, even if he was doing the best possible job, you shouldn't be making much more than a million dollars in the role he's in. And the one other thing I would say, his quote at the end of the article, I hate the fact that somehow or another, this organization figures out how to create drama. Good Lord. Can we just have one annual meeting where everybody goes home happy? I'm sorry, Max. This is what they're paying you for. They're paying you for to deal with the drama and to actually prevent some of this drama coming up in the first place. So when we have all these controversies at USATF, well, the buck stops with the CEO. So you can't just say, oh, people get mad about all this stuff. Well, that's kind of on you. Right. Remember when they like disbanded the youth committee and kicked them all off and then they were suing them in court and stuff? There were like millions of dollars of legal fees. That decision came from the top. Like, a lot of the controversy, I think they could prevent. I, I, don't, I don't know. I, but as I said to John on the Supporters Club podcast, I'm glad Max is telling his story. Because the story we make up for him is always going to be worse than the story he tells. So talk to the media, Max. Engage with people. We're not out to get you, Max Siegel. We would love to talk to you. But USATF Communications makes... No attempt to work with the endemic running media, and pretty much none, right? Like we're just sort of viewed as like, I think pests at 
you know, if you're going to ask questions that aren't just complete softballs, you're just sort of like somebody they have to tolerate. Well, yeah, because a lot of times we're trying to seek clarification because the stuff that comes out from USATF, we have a lot of question marks about. And naturally, a lot of that's going to be negative. If I want to have a glowing profile of a USATF athlete, I'm not going to go through USATF to arrange it. I'm going to talk to the agent or the athlete themselves. Most of the time, if we have a question about USATF, it's because there's something we don't understand or there's a pressing issue for them to communicate. Like, I'm not going to just, it's not interesting to write a story and it's not all, not going to, usually going to be true. USATF is doing an amazing job. Let's write a story about that. That's not really, that serves no purpose to anyone. But enough of this. I'm, on this one, I bet you 90% of our people agree with us and nobody agrees on 90% of anything. Can we turn to the big high school race for the weekend? The NXN championships, that is the high school team and Individual cross-country championships. We still have the... It's now called the Cross Champs, I think. Former East Bay Footwalkers is this weekend. No, no, no. Well, then, you've been confusing this. You called... We had Cross Champs. That was the meet in Austin that you attended, which you somehow called the U.S. Cross Champs in our recap, confusing it with USA Cross, which is actually in January. Not to be confused with Club Cross, which is this weekend in uh, in San Francisco. And it's the Champs Cross Country Championships, which I agree. That's what was last year known as East Bay and before that known as Foot Locker and before that known as Kinney. Instead of sticking with one name, they've changed it for the second year in a row. And it's now Champs Cross Country Championships, the redundancy. And Foot Locker owns all of these companies. It's just crazy that they changed the name. But yeah, let's talk about Nike Cross Nationals, which was in three of the four races, boys team and girls team and individual mostly went according to form irene riggs who had broken the caitlin two course record at nxn southeast in Cary, north carolina she won in dominant fashion on the girls individual side saratoga springs of new york and newbury park they were your team champions on the girls and boys side which is interesting they were also the team champions the last time this meet was held in 2019 so you would think three years in high school, you're turning over almost all of your roster, yet you've got the same two champions. So obviously the dynasties are going strong with those programs. But the big upset here, Aaron Salmon of Newbury Puck, he had never won a high school cross-country race before because he's on the same team as Nico Young, who was the 2019 NXN champion, Colin Salmon, who was the 2021 running lane champion, which replaced NXN as the national championships. And then this year with Leo and Lex Young, who had been the top two runners in the country this year and with two, three at the running lane champs last year. And I think pretty much everyone expected Leo and Lex to go one, two in some order. That didn't happen. They pushed the pace early. Lex fell first, which was surprising because he was the California state cross country champion. And then even at the end, though, Leo Young with the, okay, we're going to get a Young victory. He was three seconds ahead with 400 meters to go, but he really struggled up to the final hill. Aaron Salmon, the 148-800 man, blasts by him, closes like a demon, runs 14:44 course record, and he is your 2022 NXN champion. I mean, this is shocking. I didn't know it was a course record. It, so this is also... I mean, it's just cool on a lot of levels. One, his brother won it last year. 
Two, the Newbury Park team completely blows up with Leo and Lex Young faltering. I say that, yet they still dominated the national championship and won the team title. That's how good they are. Lowest score in NXN history, 66 points. What? I mean, yeah. like, I, I didn't know that stat. Like, it's just unbelievable how good they were. But last year at this at the running lane nationals, they went one, two, three individually. So, but then this kid, as we said, he's a one. He has not won a high school cross, not won a cross country race since middle school. He's been the number three in his team every single week this year. Is now your national champion? It's just a cool story, right? I mean, if you're Lex and Leo, it's it's probably not too cool, but it's like what people dream of, right? He ran his the best race of his life on in the biggest race of his life, I would say to this point. He got it done. And Lex and Leo, it sounded like they'd been sick in the build-up, and I also think that race strategy you can take some you can sort of poke some holes in it. It was a very windy day, and they were pushing a lot early in the race, really throwing a lot of surges in there. That might not have been the most effective strategy. They were probably the two top guys in the field, but if they're not at 100%, and then you're also having to do the work pushing into the wind, it looked like it backfired for them. I don't think they have anything to really be ashamed about because they've had such great careers to this point, but they both... Neither was at their best on Saturday. Aaron absolutely was, and he was rewarded with the national title. And then there's been the aftermath on Let's Run.com. My son's been sick. It was his fifth birthday party. Fifth birthday on Sunday. My parents are in town, but I wasn't on the message board very much. But it seems like every time I go on the message board, there's like eight threads about Newberry Pork, and people are, are talking about whether there's beef between the Salmon, between Aaron Salmon and the Youngs. Some people are saying Aaron Solomon has quit, was kicked off the team. Some people are saying that um, Aaron Solomon is actually not coached by the, by the Newberry Park coaches, that he's coached remotely by Run CCG. A bunch of this stuff is complete nonsense. What's Run CCG? Run CCG is one of the top online coaching people, just like 10 minute coaches, people online. Run CCG is one of my good friends, Chris Catton. He and his partner, I forgot his partner's name, they coach kids online. And people were saying on Westfly made a, a video saying that. There was all this beef between the people. And by the way, folks, look, I've got some information on this inside. I don't know if it's inside information, but I've talked to people. I've talked to Run CCG himself. They are not coaching Aaron Solomon. He's coached by the Newberry Park coaches. Um, Aaron Solomon has not been kicked off the team, which was falsely reported. And what happened in the race is simple. The young brothers were battling illness. They tried to be upbeat about it and run their normal race. They probably ran a little bit too aggressively, considering they were a little bit sick, and it was so windy, and they got beat. Now, this other nonsense, I keep having to delete threads. People are accusing me of being like Chairman Z of the Chinese party. Like We leave an open forum, but if someone tells me I'm not coaching him remotely, I'm going to delete that thread. So it's been a little bit difficult to do. But we need to remember, folks, we're talking about high schoolers. I'll back off a little bit. Whoever keeps starting these threads. Yeah, I think we have to remember here, these are very popular runners in the high school running world. Lex and Leo Young have their own YouTube channel, which is quite popular. But they are still, at the end of the day, high schoolers. They're amateur athletes. I don't think we need to be speculating or going into very much detail about all this 
sort of stuff, Robert. I, I just don't think it's fair to be, if this was a professional group and it was really affecting their professional running careers, then it would be sort of fair game for let's run to cover for high schoolers. I don't think so as much. Even college athletes, John, I think it's fine to like discuss the sort of just a general dynamic. Of course, there's going to be a dynamic on that team, right? Who do you want to beat, John? We always talk about this. On a cross-country team, who do you want to beat the most? Your teammates. Yeah. Now, maybe that's because I wasn't big enough to win the race. And I was the number two in my high school team. The Well, I was never not. I was, you know, number five and four and three. The best I ever got was number two. Went to college with my with the number one guy. He kicked my ass. And the first time I ever beat him, yeah, it was a big deal. So, but he handled it with grace. We handled it with grace. And there was no internet back then. <laughs> probably my best friend today. But it's, it's, of course, there's going to be probably a little, you know, stuff. You know, people, but some of these high school kids are analyzing too much into it. They're like, oh, look at this Instagram post and this and that. And it's kind of fascinating, but it's, it's not the, the purpose of what's run, right? These are high school kids. These are minors. Yes. But what, and it, but it's just hard for me to moderate. Like I had to delete one of the kids' cell phone numbers off the internet. I, I had to delete, um, um, Westfall. I put out a video talking about the beef between the teammates. And apparently one of the young brothers called up Westfly and said, look, this is not true. So Westfly has now taken that video down. But so it's out of our control. I mean, some of these kids, some of it's on them. They do like the cell phone. Why did the cell phone get out there? Because I guess, you know, you're, you're at the thing. I don't know if you're trying to impress the girls or what, but one of the Newberry Park teammates wrote the cell phone number of another runner on a flag at NXN. And then someone took a picture of it and, and it gets – put around social media and then it ends up on the let's run forum so i assume they weren't calling him from the let's run forum i assume these high schoolers got the number themselves and were, were harassing the youngs the night before the race but hey they're high schoolers you know it's just kind of it's an interesting story we're going to try to do the best we can to allow an open forum but respect their privacy at the same time well robert i do want to talk about their running futures though we talked to Sean Brosnan on this podcast a few years ago when Newbury Park won NXN. We were talking, he was typing up the young brothers. He said they're going to be even faster than Nico. And then we've also got Aaron Salman, who's now a national champion in high school cross country like his brother. Does this change between the big four, Aaron and Colin Salman, or I guess big five, because Nico, Lex, and Leo Young. Does this result from Aaron showing that he's, you know, the top high school cross-country runner in the country in this day. Does that change your sort of rankings on who you think is going to be the best down the line? Does it do anything? Does this result do anything or say anything to you about Aaron Solomon's future? Not really. I wouldn't say he's the top cross-country runner. They raced probably each other 10 times this year, and he lost nine of them. I mean, he won the big one, but... Um, I mean, I think it's good for a mid-D guy to do this, but... I, I think the conception is because he's run one forty eight nine. Everyone thinks he's the fastest of, of of all of all the guys that have gone through there. The perception, yes, yes. I'm not sure if that's true. I've heard some people tell me that Leo is actually faster foot speed. Lex will be more of the five and ten guy. But look, I, I think they all have bright futures. Um, well, I, I would love to. We tried to pin Sean Brosnan on this when he was on the podcast. Their coach last year, now the UCLA distance coach. I would love to have him, have him like put in a little 
bottle, like just the name, which one's going to be the best. But I still haven't figured out which is better between Leo and Lex. Because one won the state title, but then, like, I should know, being a twin, and this is terrible because people did this all my whole life to me. But I, my bet somehow, John, is I think somehow that Brosnan thinks it's one of the twin bro- one of the young brothers, twin brothers, is the best. I don't, I don't know why. I have like no insider information to that. That's just what I'm saying. As for Aaron Solomon, great race. I think this one more. I chalked down. I. It sounds like the young brothers weren't 100. percent That's what the performance showed. So I think combination maybe being a little sick and then not running the smartest race. I think it caught it cost them. So, but yeah, I mean, Aaron Solomon, you got to be a little more bullish on him than you are. I mean, one family, two years in a row. It's incredible. It's crazy. We talk about the Youngs. I think of the Youngs as being a better running family than the Solomons. And yet the Solomons have won the national championship two years in a row. Yeah. And remember next year, we're going to get to see more of this play out at the collegiate level. Assuming Nico Young hasn't turned pro next year, we're going to have Nico Young and Colin and Aaron Solomon on NAU. And then we're going to have Lex and Leo Young on Stanford. And those two could be the best two cross-country teams in the country. And they could be that way for the next couple of years. So that's going to be fascinating to see that sort of rivalry continue at the NCAA level. I mean, the interesting thing to me about Aaron Solomon is I'm just not sure how sure how into running he is. Like when you talk to Mike Young, he's like, I mean, Mike Smith at NAU, he's like, yeah, he's told me repeatedly he's a middle distance runner. So I don't even know if he really wants to do cross country in college. So Mike Smith said that Aaron Solomon, I mean, Colin Solomon might not run cross country this year. I never believed that. I'm like, this guy won the nationals last year. Of course they're going to need him. He's going to run. I actually believe Aaron Solomon might not run cross country for NAU next year. I can see that if he's more of a mid D guy. Um, I, I think the young, particularly the twins may be more into it. They have their own YouTube channel, but being more into it, that's not necessarily it's weird. You think I think long term that's huge, but in the short term, it's not necessarily a positive. I would argue I was more into running the Weldon was when we were younger. In ninth grade, I'm like, oh, I can be on the team, I can be in the varsity. And I just went from zero miles to fifty miles a week and got hurt all the time. And Weldon was like just running a little bit more every year and just kind of I want to say do, doing the bare minimum, but he got better and better and better. And then once he realized he could be great, he got really into it. So will this flip the switch for Mr. Solomon and make him think, wow, I, I could be a great cross country runner. But of course, 10 K cross country in college is different. I mean, we saw Colin Solomon not even be great at it. If Aaron's more mid D than him, it'll be interesting. I think they all have bright features. They, if they want to make running their thing, um, who is the brightest future? I would rather be at Stanford, to be honest, like the young twins than the other four. I mean, other three. Stanford in the if you're trying to get like a real world job and that sort of thing, yes, a Stanford degree is more helpful than NAU. Training at Flagstaff, I mean, Ricardo Smith's a good coach, but I think Mike Smith, based on his success recently, has been a better coach. So I don't know. In terms of becoming a great, world class runner, I mean, look at Luis Grijalva, just got fourth of the world. So I think running wise. NAU might be a little bit better situation, but Stanford, you're still going to be, I mean, Ricardo Santos just coached the NCAA champion in cross country. So you, I think you're going to be pretty good either way. What does having a YouTube channel have anything to do with being how serious you're about running? To me, you could uh, even argue the opposite. 
that oh you're putting time in YouTube instead of running. Like to me, it's more about YouTube is more about promotion, nil that sort of stuff than how serious you are about running. Oh, that's a good point. I did I, at the beginning of the summer when I first saw the YouTube channel, I thought it was a distraction. Who knows? We're trying to read. We're speculating too much about high school kids. All right, are we done? We've been going forever. We didn't talk about Hassan Mead. One one last thing. Hassan Mead, former U.S. champion, Olympian, tested positive, and you know, it comes out that he's basically been retired since the pre-classic. Certainly since June, multiple people have confirmed he hasn't been running since then. So I'm like, okay, it's a, it's a nothing story. I mean, years ago, Chris Lukasik had retired. And they came to test him on April 20th, which is the marijuana day. He refused the test. He got banned. Um, so I view this as a nothing story. But then someone, John, on the message board pointed out, okay, if he's retired, why did he update his whereabouts on the testing protocol? That's the only thing that doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, I'm not really sure because I, I did try to follow up with him about this afterwards and he didn't respond. But... Maybe he just figured he was... St- I mean, yeah, he could have... If he didn't update it, then they would have presumably come to test him in Eugene somewhere, and then he would have gotten a whereabouts failure at some point because he wasn't at the address he gave them. So that, that's a question that remains unanswered in this case, but Hassan, essentially, he gave the interview, he gave his side of the story, I appreciate that. And then beyond that, though, I, I don't think he really is too bothered what the running world at large thinks of him. He cares about what the people in the sport think of him and he cares of what he thinks of himself. And his story essentially is that he never cheated or did anything during his career, no anti-doping rule violations or anything until this one when he's saying he's retired. And then he's like, look, once I retired, I didn't pay attention to the stuff I was taking anymore. He claims it was a pre-workout drink from the gym that triggered this positive test for ligandrol and osterine, which are muscle-building substances. So I tend to believe him, uh, but I, I would like to know why he updated the whereabouts thing. Maybe he just figured it was as simple as I figured I would update it, and then eventually they would just remove me in the, from the pool when they realized that I wasn't competing anymore. That's one of the things he did tell me is, because I, I asked him, like, why didn't you file the paperwork? And part of it, he said he was just kind of out of laziness. But he also said, I talked to other athletes who were in the pool. And they said once they stopped competing for long enough, they just stopped getting tested. So his thinking may have been that if he updated his whereabouts, but he just stopped competing, eventually they would remove him from the pool. They would do it and he wouldn't have to do all the paperwork. And the one other thing I would like to know is what was the name of the specific substance? Like, it'd be great if he said, this is the drink I drank. And then someone could test it and say, hey, did it test positive for ligandrol and osterine? I did ask him multiple times what the name of the drink was, and he, he wouldn't give a straight answer to that. But in general, I do think his explanation makes sense. Uh, and he said, you know, he's a skinny guy, 6'2", 138 pounds, but... He's in the real world now. He doesn't want to look like a skinny runner the whole time. So he's going and lifting and, you know, takes a drink beforehand to help boost his workout. He doesn't know that it's going to be stuff that's on the water band list. We talked about this stuff a little bit on the Supporters Club podcast. Yeah, the more details he wants to share with you, fine. He may not care what the running public thinks about Nick Simmons 
defended him at, at the running event. Said 100% he's clean. But I think just answering those questions, you would would help his case with the public at large. Or the public at large has no idea about this. The super hardcore nerd running public on let's run.com. Um, but hey, th- th- you know, that public matters. That's what this running event, you know, is for. It's for specialty retailers. The cross champs, which uh, I'll just mention it a little bit because we talked about it on the Supporters Club podcast, but for everyone else, it was last Thursday. Um, Alicia Munson and Edwin Cargot. I, I was about to say, I'm like, Evans, wait, this is wrong. I'm Evans Chibet. Edwin Cargot got the wins. Big win for uh, Edwin because he hadn't done anything really since 2019 NCAA cross country, which he won. He's trying to get a con- pro contract. He's now the grad assistant at Iowa State. Um, they got the wins. And this race is like Thursday, you know, Thursday afternoon. And people are like, why is this thing Thursday afternoon? It's because the running event is in Austin. You know, like Monday to Friday, really Tuesday to Thursday kind of deal. So if you want all these specialty running people, you have a captive audience to come out. That's the day to do it. I, I thought it was cool in a sense. Um, I'm sure they want more people to turn out. But like it showed to me like you could have sort of festival cross country. They did five mile, one mile loops off of this football field. And that's the way to do it. You saw the runners all the time. Cross country could be way more spectator friendly than you think. Um, and if you're going to try to do one of these things like, you know, public at large on a weekend, I think you could have like races for the masses, have a big festival in the infield, obviously beer, right? John, you need beer at everything. And if it's on a weekend, you're allowed to drink before noon, right? For festival occasions, John, that's an official let's run rule. The official let's run, at least my personal rule is if it's for a sporting event, you can drink beer at any time of day. So if there's like a 7 a.m., I don't drink usually when I watch the Brighton games, but if I really wanted to get into it and they're playing at 10 a.m., a beer before a beer in hand is perfectly appropriate when sports is involved. Yeah, um, not that there was a World Cup going on that the USA played in or, and I cared about, but when the US <laughs> scored their goal to get down by one, it was, the game started at 10 a.m. and I'm like, I need a beer now. And then I debated it. And next thing you know, they're down three ones. So I held off on the, on the beer. But I'll tell you, I, I had quite a few beverages watching England go up against. I mean, normally I would I wouldn't be drinking quite as much during the England Senegal game, but when you're up three nil in a World Cup game and there's no question that you're advancing. You can, you know, you can take an extra glass of wine at the end of the game and just enjoy the stuff. I was getting, I was like, already getting excited for France. You're drinking wine, John, not beer. Well, our, our host, I stayed with the Let's Run.com supporters club member, uh, Tomek Baginski in Valencia. And uh, the host of the apartment we were staying at left us a bottle of wine for, you know, to drink at some point during our stay. And this was Sunday night. It was after Tomek had run the race and it was, as Brighton, sorry, not as Brighton, my other love. It was as England were advancing to the quarterfinals, we figured, hey, why not? What better occasion to open the bottle of wine? So, yeah, I had a beer to, I had a couple of beers in the afternoon, and then I had the wine to celebrate as a nightcap. And Tomek, shout out to him. How old is he, John? Is this his second marathon only? Is that right? 45 years old, second marathon, yep. How fast? 
Uh, I think he ran 243 or 244. He told me he got a little overexcited early in the race because it was really good conditions. He was hoping to break 240, and he was feeling good early. He got caught up with the masses and just overcooked it a little bit. But I think overall he still had a pretty good time. I mean, running in the 240s at 45 is still not too bad. I mean, it's it's crazy. Like, huge shout-out. So he's a little disappointed, second marathon. But, John, then he pointed out in his email, I don't know how to say her name, Sania Diver of Australia. She's also Sinead Diver. Sinead, Sinead, okay. It's like Sinead O'Connor, 34. right? Oh, perhaps. I mean, that's sick. 221.34 for a woman at 45? And supposedly she sleeps six hours a night and has a full-time job. So all you other hacks out there, I mean, John, I got to make a comeback if she can do this. My God, wait, how are you doing two twenty one marathon training and you're sleeping six hours a night? I just don't. I could never recover that much. If I'm training for a marathon, I would need to be sleeping eight or nine hours a night minimum. I can't understand. How, I mean, just some people are built different, I guess. But yeah, it's pretty nuts. She used to. She was Irish. She's Irish, and she changes. Switches allegiances to Australia, runs her first marathon at age 37, runs 224 in 2019. We're thinking, oh, you know, that's that's amazing. She's 42 years old and she's running 224 and PRing, and now 45 years old, 221. She broke the age 40, the 45 plus world record by seven minutes. Well, then it's just crazy. Oh my God. Portugal, good now. This is a problem. I didn't think Portugal were going to be that good. They're up 5 1 on Switzerland. We might have to play them in the semifinals if we get by France. But wait, how did how'd your TV get ahead of mine? Damn it! I only needed three more goals until that one. I needed Switzerland to score three more goals, take it to extra time, and win on penalties. So I'd win my pearl. <laughs> I, I think your Switzerland bet is officially dead. Well, then I'm sorry to tell you. Uh, all right, all right. One final, final thing I want to say before we end the podcast: Hassan, sorry, not Hassan Mead, Asafa Powell retired last week. We teased a couple times on the Supporters Club podcast. We might talk about it. We never did because so much other stuff was going on. But I think it's worth discussing. This guy was a... He broke the 100-meter world record multiple times. He was one of the defining sprinters of the 2000s and 2010s. But perhaps not for the reason he would want. He was kind of... He was known as a guy who could run fast times. He has the most sub-10 100 meters in history, 97 but he never won a global gold individually. And the show note we've got here is Asafa Powell, biggest choker ever. I don't know if you wrote that or if Robert wrote that, but is it unfair to drill his legacy down to that? I mean, he ran some crazy fast times and have the unfortunate timing to go up against Usain Bolt, the greatest sprinter of all time. Once Bolt really hit the scene, Powell wasn't going to do anything. But I think for a lot of people unfairly or not, Powell is going to be remembered for struggling in those championships. I mean, 2007 Worlds, he gets beat by Tyson Gay. He gets the bronze medal. 2008 Olympics, he's fifth in that race. 2012, he pulls up lame. And 2009, he actually did run a good race in the Berlin World Championships. He got third in 9.84. The problem was Bolt ran 9.58 and Tyson Gay ran 9.71, I think. So... I guess when you hear Asafa Powell, what are you going to think of now, now that he's retired? 
my first thought when I did hear Soft Lapel, that crazy picture on the internet where it doesn't look like a human being. Where he's flexing. You know what I'm talking about? There's just No, I'm not sure. I gotta Google this now. I don't know what you're talking about. It's not that important, Weldon. We I don't I don't care that much. I'll I'll try to find it, John, but he just looked like no sprinter that I remember. Yeah, performances? He didn't I'm shocked, you know, now that you're saying that he hit the world record twice. I would have said once. There's there's no shame really like in losing to like a Tyson Gay at, at the Worlds, obviously lo- losing to Bolt. But he's got no Olympic medals. So, I mean, the Olympics can be unfair if you get hurt the wrong season. But I, I think he'll always be the world record holder, right? So you can't take that away from him. But otherwise, he's just sort of like a forgotten guy. Not a forgotten guy. He's the most consistent sub-100 guy. But he wasn't Usain Bolt. I think that's probably how he'll most be remembered. Yeah, I mean, he won gold medals with Jamaica in the relay. But I, I think when you run the when you're when you break the hundred meter world record multiple times, but you do not win a global gold medal you're going to be remembered as the guy who ran fast outside of the championships but couldn't get it done on the big stage and that to a to a point that is fair like 2007 2008 i mean 2007 tyson gay was really good so i don't think there's any shame in losing to him but Safa powell that was the only race he lost all year he was third in the World Championship final, and then his next meet after Worlds, he comes out and runs nine seven four and breaks the world record in Rieti. So, you know, he was in basically world record shape at the World Championships and couldn't get it done. And then I think he also has the misfortune. Two thousand six, he goes undefeated that season. He run he ties the world record twice nine seven seven. The problem is there was no World Championships or Olympics in two thousand six. Now. Doesn't mean he would have showed up. He would have still had to show up and get it done, but he was the best sprinter in the world that year in the 100 and didn't get the chance to show it on the biggest stage. So, yeah, I, and then 2012, you know, he pulled up. If he was actually injured, which looks like it, that's a, not, that's out of his control, obviously. But the thing about, Usain Bolt, and it's unfair, it's unfair to really compare anyone to Usain Bolt because Usain Bolt's the GOAT, but when I would say I look at him and I look at Asafa Powell, Usain Bolt was always relaxed, totally in control at the World Championships. He, or The biggest stage, he felt comfortable and absolutely at ease. You could always count on him there, and Asafa Powell, I think the moment probably got a, a bit too big for him a few times. That's not to say he didn't have a brilliant career running all those fast times, but with those fast times, you would have thought he would have won at least one gold medal because that's how you measured in the sport. Yeah, it's going through his times here. I'm like, wait, didn't he run something fast? I can't believe he's still around. But I was actually thinking of Johan Blake, who is much younger than him. I'm sort of surprised he's been competing essentially the last five years. He hasn't broken 10 since... I'm like, oh, he should hang around and get to 100. But he hasn't broken 10 since 2016 in a legal race. I I was shocked to actually learn he'd been racing the last couple of years because and I guess I'm looking at some of these results like Leverkusen, M- Madrid, Kotrike. These aren't he's not running at the biggest 
meets anymore because he's not the sprinter he once, once was. But I thought he had been retired a couple of years ago. And turns out, no, he's still been going out there. He just hasn't. He ran 10.02 in 2019. Oh, he ran 10.07, but there was a plus 4.5 win last year in Claremont. He didn't compete at all in 2022. So, but now he is officially retired. Yeah, no performances this year. All right. Well, John, it's a good thing this podcast, we started recording and we had delay because of the penalty kicks. It's a good thing though I had my runner box here. I was fueled before this thing. No, John, will you not even take a runner box? Like, they don't sponsor athletes. If a runner box wants to send you some free goodies, like, would you take that? I, I think I consider that. It's certainly. Tell me about some of these goodies, well, then. What do we get? Well, I've eaten all the food, so th- that's gone. Well, actually, let me see the other box over here. I have two of them. Oh, some brain fuel. I ate these oatmeal things that are really good. Um, anything like candy or sweet, since I'm not competing, I bang out. We got a Thera Wishbone recovery device. I mean, you got cool little things. You'll have food. You'll have, oh, FitFly protein. I've got some pain reliever cream. All the food's gone. Well, except for this oatmeal. I, mean, I couldn't eat this during the podcast. Kodiak Muffin Power Cup. So you get exposed to new things. It's cool. $50. Each box is worth over $50 worth of stuff for as low as $29. Shipped to your door. Great gift for you or great gift for somebody else. John, They, I, I think they will ship you one if, if you will consider. I would consider it. These are like perishables. It's not like a shoe brand. I mean, I, I'm i sure they. it's it's well worth receiving for free, but I... I yeah, I, I don't think it would really damage my integrity to accept something like that, but yeah. I, 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 let's talk about this offline. What if there's a scandal with a, with within the uh, special, within the, I don't know, what's it even called? The food beat of running. You couldn't yeah, cover that's it. Yeah, that's you, the you, thing. You're like, oh, I'm loyal to runner box. Like, you know, if something happened with like Cliff Bar, they'd be like, oh, you're loyal to running box. You can't cover this. Yeah, I'm trying to think of a way in which it would affect my integrity and the fact that it's, I'm finding that difficult probably suggests that taking the freebie would be no problem, but yeah, uh, that's, that's something we don't need to determine it right now. Okay. I guess England will play another game by the time we, well, not from, for the supporters club, supporters club podcast Friday. If you want a second podcast every week, join now. Let's run. com slash subscribe. Good luck to England. Oh, I can say that and root against them. Right, John? You're allowed to. I don't know why you would root against them. Your your favorite employee, Jonathan Gold, you know his life is going to be improved dramatically if England win the World Cup. My my quality of writing in 2023 would be so good if I have the confidence of an England World Cup win under my belt. But you can root for whoever you want. If you want to root, for, you're really going to root for France over England. Well, then is that what you're telling me? I like their uniforms. You should you should see our away kit. Our away kit's much better. Than, uh, I agree. The fr- French uniform's much better than the England home kit. I like the blue uh, away, away shirt's nice. I like your white and their blue, so is that what they're going to wear? And then it'll be too tough for me to decide. No, our white shirts aren't that good, and that's probably... We might end up wearing that. I'd rather we wear our reds. That's what we won the World Cup in. I think it's the better shirt this year. Yeah. Okay. Everybody pray for four more goals here from Switzerland in these final 15 minutes. It'll make me very happy. Till next week, everybody. <laughs>